Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. I want winners. I want people that want to win. Hey, Rod, what's going on? Super Bowl. <laughs> yes, Super Bowl. It's been a couple weeks since you and I have chatted, and lots of stuff happened after that uh, After that conference, uh, after the NFC, ti- uh, <clears throat> NFC title loss there. Um, and we'll get into that, but we're, of course, going to talk about the Super Bowl first and foremost, and got a good game. There have been some... I would say average at best games uh, in, in the most recent past, like last year's game, there were, there were good moments and, and it was close, but like, the, I, I don't think the quality uh, of the play reached uh, what we saw today. Um, it was ultimately forgettable in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, the, the, the Rams won and shout out to, uh, to Brad uh, on Thompson, to Clark, who's a Rams fan, you know, he celebrated and, he had to deal with what they went through this year, but uh, yeah. So l- let's let's get into the game because it it was meaningful. You saw great play. You saw two great quarterbacks go head to head, go at it. Uh, but before that, I just wanted to mention one thing, which is we have a Discord for BSPN. All the local teams have channels. Even I even threw a Raiders channel up there just in case there's, you know, there's some <laughs> A's Raiders crossover there, you know, mm-hmm. Vegas, they're Bay Area adjacent, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, just we're just trying to create some community uh, with me not being able to use Facebook. It opened up my eyes to Discord and I was like, wow, this is really the tool that I should have been using all along because it does a lot of the things that I really wanted to do. So we have a Discord. Send me an email if you want in on the Discord. We're kind of starting slow. We're keeping it uh, with just a few people right now as we test things out. But gg at bspnmedia.com, and we'll shoot you over an invite and get you in there. Uh, Rod just joined today, so he's he's uh, checking things out. And, you know, the, the main thing with <clears throat> the communities that, that I personally run is I literally have two rules no hate speak, no trolling. And I think that kind of covers the gamut of the the stuff online that I don't like. And uh, ultimately, I let people act like adults and we talk things out if we have any issues. And, and that's just how we roll. So it's, it should be a really fun time. But yeah, gg at bspnmedia.com. All right. <clears throat> so let's talk about this game. I thought it was uh, high-level offense 
de- defense didn't really have a chance on either side today, which is interesting because of the the Philadelphia Eagles pass rush. And uh, one of the guys uh, that I was talking to today, who's a Chiefs fan, he said that he didn't think Mahomes was going to have problem with it because the way that they were going to attack the Eagles was to get the ball out quick. And so I went and I looked at Pat Mahomes' sack totals uh, of the year. And I was like, mm, you know, this guy almost got sacked 30 times. So it's not like he didn't get sacked at all. But then I thought, you know, some of that is probably him scrambling, trying to get yards for the team, trying to open things up and maybe getting, you know, losing like a yard or two. But man, was he right? Mahomes got hit once, I think, that I saw in the pocket. And he scrambled and, and ultimately hurt his ankle again on another one. But, like, that was it. He had, like, a 30-yard run late in the fourth there that was just, like, how, how did they take his foot off and they put, like, a brand-new foot on at halftime? I don't understand how that works. But, man, ultimately, the best player on the field made the biggest plays in the game to to turn it. And, you know, that's why, he, that's why you pay those quarterbacks for those performances. I thought Mahomes... In, in a game where you wouldn't consider it to be his best game by far, he just delivered in the end. And I was just like, yep, that's the guy that I remember watching beat us up in, in the middle of the season there. That's the guy. He's the guy. Well, I'll say two things. One, Pat Mahomes, if he, does, if he plays like he plays today, he's pretty much unstoppable. But he will go through streaks where he won't just take what's given to him and he holds the ball and tries to force it downfield and that's where he gets in trouble but if he is willing to just dink and dunk and you know for lack of a better word game manage rather than you know be jordan um he's hard to stop um and also this game in my opinion was a tale of two halves Mm -hmm. they played just the way they had to play to win this game. They had the Chiefs had the ball for like eight minutes in the first half. If in Philly, if they ball controlled them and kept Pat Mahomes, the, the best way to beat Pat Mahomes is to keep him on the sideline. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what they did. And something happened during the Rihanna performance. <laughs> Got inspired there <laughs> and figured out how the hell to control both lines of scrimmage, basically. And um that was the game. You know, the Eagles pass rush was like you outlined was basically non-existent um, in the second half. And the chiefs, you know, they did, you know, they were able to get things done and control um, the Eagles offensive line. And, you know, the coming out the first, the first drive was the first three and out of the um, game for them. And it was like they were kind of off to the races on both sides. And um, I think they scored on like three of their four offensive drives in the second half. I mean, they, you know, it was just a master class offensively for the Chiefs. And um, the Eagles, I mean, I, outside of, Mahomes, you know, I mean, not Mahomes, um, of Hurts, you know, putting the ball on the ground in the first half. I mean, I don't, there's not really much that you could really point to and say, you know, they did wrong offensively. Really? He, had, he had the one three and out was in the third quarter, I think. Yeah. 
And I mean, it's really the difference of the game. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, and and again, to me, I'm I was, you know, I guess you could go that way. You could go, you know, you know, Philly offense. I went more Kansas City defense on that three and out. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I guess it just depends on how you look at it. But I think overall, my overall takeaway is that it was a, a pretty well played game. Um, all around. I, I I can't remember, you know, and again, I I, I don't like being prisoner of the, of the moment guy. Yeah, yeah. But it's um that this is one of the best, you know, back and forth kind of Super Bowls that I can remember, at least for sure, in the last, you know, several years, I thought. I and think then the, 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 the close the close one was uh when the Pats came back to beat the Falcons. I think that actually even went into overtime, didn't it? Yeah, that you know that and that was a real another one that was really kind of back and forth because the Falcons, you know, dominated pretty much the first half. Yeah. And then um the you know they did what they the Patriots did what they did. So yeah, I think that um but damn, you know, you realize that, you know, that's pre Kyle, so that we're talking about that's six years ago now. Yeah, that's that's a, that's, that's, that's like one, a, that's one a long time ago, <laughs> one year BK before Kyle. Yeah. Uh, um, so so uh, there were a couple of I think you know I, I sort of look at the Super Bowl and I try to look at at it through the, fen- the through the lens of like the new fan or the fan who only watches the Super Bowl. And, you know, I imagine any Super Bowl party you were with, you probably were watching it with some folks who don't watch week in and week out. And I was trying to understand, like, man, can you imagine a casual fan watching football and understanding what a catch was in this game? Because there were two that we had to go to replay to sort of determine what was going on and if it was a catch. And, you know, shout out to you know Greg Olson I think he's I think he's pretty good especially this is really his like first big year he was he's a receiver so he needs to tell me like you know he needs to tell me exactly why this is a catch and this wasn't and I'm the play that I'm thinking of was the Goddard catch and like it's clear that Goddard kind of he he catches it and then he has to he kind of juggles it and then as he's going out he gets possession and maybe his pinky toe was dragging right before it lifted off. I think that was the the thing. But man, the, like you know, if you're if you're a casual football fan trying to figure out what some of these rules are, is it, kind of crazy. There, so there there were two things I thought. Uh, the field. What's going on with that field? These guys are slipping and sliding all over the place. You know, you want if it's raining, you sort of understand. Like, okay, I get it. Like that's just you know, nature telling us, Hey, this is what it's going to be today. But the reason why you have the game in Arizona is you don't have to worry about the weather. And that field played like it had rained for about two and a half hours right before. I didn't really understand that. They tra- they were trying to say something about the turf and, you know, oh, it's this new turf and, but they've been like putting it together for the last two years. And here we go. Like, the biggest game, whoever put that turf in, they need to be fired because it was terrible. Like well, I thought these guys were going to get hurt. Well, but the thing of it is, is that is apparently when the last time Philly played there, they complained about it being super soft. So the, whoever the NFL powers it be, let their guy come in and oversee the field this week. And 
whatever they their normal protocol was apparently was scuttled and with the effort of trying to get it to be harder than it was and i you know so i don't know how any of that works um i know that their field is kind of like the raiders field where it's turf um and they you know sit it outside and move it back in and do all of that kind of jazz. So it is supposed to be a grass field, but um, it really plays odd. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, a odd it's an odd um, track. And yeah, that, you know, you, you would expect it not if they wanted it harder, you would expect it that with the, the slipping and stuff wouldn't have been an issue so i you know i you know i'm not a horticulturalist so i don't know how any of that works but yeah it was for something that it seemed like they put a lot of effort to into it wasn't just kind of haphazardly done it still ended up not working out you know the way anybody would have hoped so i don't know i don't know i i still think that whatever that is, is better than being on artificial turf though. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. It's just when the star, the, one of the stars of the game has a high ankle sprain, you're, you're throwing this guy out there in the biggest game of the season and guys are slipping and sliding all over. That just yeah. sounds, this is bad, right? It's just, yeah. man, whatever. Yeah, you would think, you know, in, you know, and I know it's, perfection is never gonna you know it's never gonna be that but this is you know a multi-billion dollar industry yeah and i would think that in as much as you can those type of things should be neutralized you you would you would put throw as many resources as possible to make sure as best you can that the playing surface is as uniform as possible you know, throughout the league, I think there should be mandated turf throughout, you know, field turf throughout the league. The league should, you know, mandate that everybody throw into a pot and everybody has to pay to make sure that everybody has grass fields that, you know, it's just, it's a safety issue more so than anything else. And again, if there is a, you know, we're talking about gambling. There's a lot of TV money. The everything that you can do to to eliminate as many variables as you can, you need to be doing that. You know, and if it takes, I don't know how much it ta- how much that, how many millions of dollars I would take. But hell, I'm generous with anybody else's money. That, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Spend those millions of dollars to make that. It just seems like that would be money well spent if you could figure if you could get it dialed in where you know we aren't talking about the feel um at any point if you could whatever money you invest in making sure that we're not talking about the feel and we're not talking about the referees to me is money well spent yeah absolutely uh shelvin uh our buddy shelvin who who's in the chat he said that it wasn't like that in the regular season, and he thinks it was all the paint and, and stuff. I I don't know. I don't know. I, I didn't follow I mean, the Cardinals some, outside yeah. of when we played them. Yeah. So who 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 would care about them <laughs> at all <laughs> this season? But yeah, that that doesn't seem like the most ridiculous 
um, explanation in the world. I mean, because it it was clearly <laughs> there was a lot of a lot of emblems and paint going on for yeah. sure. By the way, Shelvin, you need to get in the Discord. We need to get Shelvin in there. We need to get Rick in there. Robert's already in there. And I so saw we- Robert with his, his comment was good that you know it it was they did take a while. Now a lot of people will say that Levi is one of the best fields in the league, but in the early years, it was that was a very it was a work in progress. Yeah. Um yeah. getting that dialed in. All right. So the other play. You know, when you're talking casual fans, biggest audience of the year, they're they're talking, you know, maybe the biggest audience ever for Super Bowl. When you add in, you know, all the different ways you can watch uh, the play at the end of the game uh, that that was called defensive pass interference. And that is what uh, Eagles fans are hanging on to life for right now, that that play was incorrectly called, except the defensive back to the press said that he did in fact hold. So uh, unfortunately for the Eagles fans, they cannot hold on to that anymore. That's why I didn't understand what G-Reg was talking about on that play when, I mean, it was clearly a foul. We can't be now talking about letting them play and not calling obvious (laughs) pass interference because of when it occurred in the game. I mean, obviously that was a very important call but he grabbed him clearly he grabbed him and And, and why why is it what the thing about it is why does he grab him he grabs him because he's he's about to get beat for a touchdown that's why he grabs him (laughs) and so you know i i I, you know look being on the cusp your team is is there you, you know you're desperately trying to win that game um I don't know what the percent, you know, they run those percentages of, of the possibility of winning or whatever. I imagine it was very high for Kansas city at that point, but I get it. You're trying to hold on to something that sort of makes sense, gives you a reason why, why your team lost. That isn't that the other team is better, but man, like that's he's holding so that he doesn't get beat. And that play was created for like, for that reason, like they, just that. Yes, exactly. So, uh, I, I get it. Eagles fans that were with you, like, you know, Niners fans were, you know, doing the whole thing about if Brock Purdy's elbow didn't get hurt, you know, two weeks ago. But that's just that's just the game. The, the, the thing of it is, is, the outcome. is two things. One, that is not I don't know what the NFL equivalent of the NBA touch foul is, but that wasn't it. and two you know when i was talking to somebody just online about that the only ifs i do in my fandom is if we had scored more points or if we had held them to fewer points any all the rest of it you know i don't traffic in the excuse game you know you know we, we you got your ass kicked you got you beat he got beat on that play and i thought it was they were very smart there at the end not to take the touchdown. That was brilliant. It stunk for me because I had the Eagles minus the one and a half. So I would have <laughs> loved them to get the ball back <laughs> with a minute and try to do something. But, hey, that was a smart play to not take the touchdown, run the clock, and just take the field goal. That was smart football. Um, so, yeah, but in that play, just like the play two weeks ago with Pat getting pushed in the back, you know, that – 
decided the game, you know, and that's that's football. I know we don't like that. We don't like to feel like the refs are deciding the game, but in, ultimately the ref didn't decide the game. Those two players, the, the two defenders decided mm-hmm. the game because they they fouled. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, I'm not, you know, not gonna, I'm never going to be so, because then we, we're complaining that the Chiefs fans are complaining we're not calling stuff. So, yeah. I mean, so either way, somebody's going to be complaining at the end either way. So, you know, buck up, Eagles fans. <laughs> it, you know, we, if, 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 if there is a fan base who very much understands the frustration of getting there, you know, we go back to 2013, you know, being so close and, and Harbaugh and company deciding to, to throw the ball multiple times when we're trying to get in the end zone. Uh, then fast not trusting, forward. not trusting cap to just get the playoff that timeout yeah. that we call where Frank walks into the end zone yeah. cap gets it off. He gets to play off, but you know, that's either here or there. And then why is Crabtree our number one receiver <laughs> anyway? I mean, let's not re adjudicate all of that. <laughs> right. Right. Before the pandemic, Jimmy G misses a deep, a deep, uh, shot and and they ultimately lose kind of similarly here we're just you know we get to see Mahomes just take over the game and then the last two years we lose the NFC title game so like we get it like we're 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 kind of there with you Eagles fans and like uh, Rod said you just just deal with it and you know I think the other thing about it for Eagles fans is they also lost the World Series or they didn't uh yeah they also lost in the World Series so that's like back to back, like daggers. Well, maybe the Sixers have have something to say about that. Maybe they can. Uh, maybe they can get there. Well, I, I, let me say, as an A's fan, my heart weeps when you your World Series loss. <laughs> Us and our hundred losses. <laughs> we had we had a hundred losses. So uh, yeah, I, I, I'm well well acquainted with losses okay so when it comes to baseball you know as an ace fan and we, we don't talk a's I've, I've looked for some folks to possibly do an a's podcast it hasn't happened yet for for this network i could but, do one with a bag over my head <laughs> <laughs> but if you you know you as an a's fan this fight oakland versus vegas like what's gonna happen here do you think oakland does not have the money to build a stadium Rightfully so, you know, we're not going to, you know, number one, I don't believe that in 2021, 2023, where the hell am I at two years ago, 2023, that anybody should be putting up any municipal money for any stadium, period. It just shouldn't, it shouldn't happen because all of these leagues have plenty of money to personally finance any stadium so oakland and oakland just simply has number one doesn't have the money to do that and two has much greater needs mm-hmm. than rebuilding stadiums or financing you know private businesses stadiums they you know vegas just you know and i i would love to have a professional team. I, I would hate to see a day when the when oakland who was one of the few um, cities that had three professional mm-hmm. sports teams to no longer have any as a Oakland native um, that would hurt my heart to not 
for for them not to have any professional sports teams. But at the same time, I it just seems to me that Vegas makes a ton of sense for both the A's and Major League Baseball. Uh, I, so it, it seems to me that it's just a matter of, of if, not when at this point. But I, I appreciate the fact that they continue to, to give Oakland chance after chance to try to get their stuff together to make it happen. But, you know, now that, you know, for after many years away, having boots on the ground here, it's not going to happen. There, there, there's just, it, there is, there are too many hurdles and obstacles in the way for making a ballpark happen here. Okay. But how much of this is, and maybe it's not any, cause I, I don't follow the story, but how much of this possibly is Lou Wolf, you're a terribly rich human. You're a cheap ass owner and the team sucks. So why do we want to bend over backwards in this scenario when you are not guaranteeing that you're going to put a product out there that is going to make the city proud? That is, you know, that's a, that's a perfectly um, great. That's a great question because Clearly, right now, he is perfectly willing to just, you know, bank his um, revenue sharing money and, you know, spend right at the minimum and, you know, just run, run a profitable business and to hell with the fans in the city and the soul sucking, the morale sucking. I mean, this is a good... A, Oakland, it's a great fan base. We have showed up for both the Warriors and the A's during times when the cupboard was bare. Both, you know, people would come out. There was a, a strong core of fans that would come out and support the team, even when it was bad. But this, over the last several years, is just, I mean, it's its awful. It's awful, the product that they put out there and expecting people to come out there and the stadium stinks. It's a, it's a horrible fan experience at the Coliseum at this they, point. They got to knock that thing down. Man. Um, It's, I mean, but you know, <clears throat> rightfully, I mean, it's, it's what? 66 <laughs> is when it was built. And then, you know, the last remodel was that horrible Mount Davis, Mount Davis. <laughs> debacle, which hell now that's 30 years old. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I mean, yeah, it's 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 time to put that whole complex needs to, you know, be shot. And, you know, I, I just I don't see, you know, it's not a major league situation anymore. It's yeah. just just it's just not. So, yeah, there you go. There's your there's your A's talk. Pitchers and catchers report in like three or four <laughs> days. So that, that's shout out. You, you know, I, I, I don't root against the I don't I, I'm not an A's fan but I just like to see Barry at teams do well even when the Raiders like you know perennial like eight and eight seven and nine and like oh they're they won 10 games or make the playoffs you know how many of my friends are so happy just at the thought of a Raiders team making the playoffs like their their entire year lights up I'm I'm all for the Bay Area teams being good, so that's all. Yeah. That's 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 kind of there. Okay, so uh, any last things uh, about this game that uh, that you noticed uh, or that you thought, hmm, 
this is something the Niners are going to have to keep an eye on. I mean, I just look at the RPO and I go, I don't understand how anyone stops it. And then when Jalen Hurts lines up in shotgun, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm even more scared because this dude is either going to quarterback draw or they're going to run some play action. He's going to roll out and the defense is going to run around like their hair's on fire. Like that, I don't know why that offense scares me the most, even though, like I said, I, I thought the way that Pat Mahomes uh, chopped us up early in the season is probably the the best team that we that we faced. But man, just you know, wh- where where are we going here? Any any things, that, any trends that you saw in this game? Where, well, where you think that is? You you hit on it. The RPO is here to stay, and what I don't know if people who don't watch a lot of Kansas City football. All, you know, it stylistically, it might not look the same, but what the Eagles and the Chiefs do is a lot of the same things. Mahomes has all of that RPO stuff at his disposal. He just chooses, the, the option that he chooses most often is to pass the ball. Yeah, But that run game option is definitely there for him. And as we saw, as Robert says, that, um, that, quarterback scramble is going to haunt Eagles fans um all off season at least yeah um that was that Big was play. a huge play in the game and like you say that is something that is going to be here to stay I don't you know we'll as we talk about the Niners later on I'll talk a little bit about our quarterback situation but in our in this offense that quarterback run component would be just so so deadly the other thing that was my big takeaway an overall takeaway from this game was that when you look at the the nfl hall of fame monitor five years in pat mahomes is already a top 25 quarterback in nfl history right now today that is so you know Three weeks ago, we're talking, you know, get up. Who's better? Is is Joe Burrow the best quarterback in the end? Man, look, ain't nobody playing the game right now. Pat Mahomes is is playing against history at this point. It, it, you know, nobody else, you know, we're not talking about Joe Burrow or anybody else that's playing right now as top 25 ever right now. But that dude is in that conversation. If you go put, go to Pro Football Reference and go to the the Hall of Fame monitor and check out where he is and where he ranks um, historically right now at year five, he's got like at the end of the day today he added four and a half points with another championship and another Super Bowl MVP, which puts him over ninety points on their metric. There's no player with 90 points and two championships that's not already in the Hall of Fame. I mean, there's players like Roethlisberger who will be and uh, Rodgers who will be. But um, you look historically, man, that dude is already a historically great player right now. And that I think that is fascinating at five years in. I mean, it's 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 in my lifetime unprecedented i've never there's nobody been it's been this good this fast um ever so that is um i'm 
I feel privileged to be what I mean, I, I know I'm you know, we saw with LeBron this week, you know, the culmination of, you know, breaking Kareem's record is, you know, that's something that, you know, that's something that my uncle who introduced me to basketball, Kareem was his guy. Yeah. Um, you know, in so even up until he passed, you know, Jordan, LeBron, whatever, Kareem was still his guy as the greatest. And and when you, the argument is there, Kareem is right there. I mean, you can make a really good argument that he's the greatest, the greatest. So if you don't want to say professional basketball, he's definitely the greatest basketball player of all time. When you, when you combine college and pro, I mean, Kareem was, you know, I don't know with some of our younger audiences, there was a time in, in this world where freshmen couldn't play college basketball. And he went to UCLA at a time when they were in the midst of a historic run of NCAA championship and undefeated basketball. His freshman team routinely kicked the varsity's <laughs> national championship ass that he his freshman team was beating the national champions so it just in a in, to put that in context he is again one of the you know one of the three best players ever to play um and we so we've and we so we've seen i you know i've been fortunate enough to to witness all of lebron's career yep and to see him ascend into that conversation year after year watching you know the ups and downs the 2011 struggles i mean it's been you know to see the totality of a career to see somebody grow into one of the greatest basketball players of all time it's been a real treat to see that and i you know pat mahomes is i believe one of those guys that we're witnessing we're witnessing a hall of fame career bloom right in front of our faces and we saw another um step in that journey today and i feel um it's a pleasure to watch so as it you mentioned the quarterback situation let's just talk about that 49ers right now and by the way i thought with the exception of the fumble i thought jalen hurts played awesome yeah he 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 was calm and cool and collected he the one bad play that i'm sure that's going to be the play that is getting him up at five o'clock in the morning to get better. Uh, and that's just the way it works, but just a little too loose with that ball. And yeah. I mean, it's just those little details, but like you say, that's the kind of thing that's fixable. You know, you can, you know, you can coach that. And you, like you say, that's the type of thing that when you're in high school, you walk around all off season with that ball tucked <laughs> high and tight and um, Coach Boone you know, trying to slap it out of your hand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you know those those little things as as a young quarterback, which he still is. But you know, I'm was talking about that earlier this week. I'm not this all or nothing guy. Just a um, championship or bust. I mean, you. This was a great season for him, and something that definitely him and the Eagles can build on he was ready um, for that stage too oh yeah that, especially when you look back on his college career where in the biggest moment prior to this you know it didn't go as well as it could have so i mean unlike his counterpart 
um, that number six boy, remember the last time we saw him on a big stage, he had like 200 yards in the first half before he got hurt. The big, the stage is not too big for him or AJ Brown clearly. Um, So I say that to say Jalen played well and the Eagles. I mean, I, I think that they are, you know, they, the way Howie Roseman has built that squad out with a bunch of resources and a bunch of draft pick capital still, they're going to be a team that's going to be there to be reckoned with for many, many years. And as long as KC has, <laughs> has number 13, they're oh, going to yeah. be in the mix. So Absolutely. All right, let's talk about our own guy. Brock Purdy uh, is injured. Uh, we when we talked last, um, we did not know what the extent of that injury was was going to be, and I did a sort of a follow up short podcast when I sort of realized what it was, which was the UCL. And the reason why I know the UCL injury a lot is because of baseball and mm-hmm. you know these. But what in the, in the reading I learned, I was like, okay, reconstruction which is the Tommy John surgery mm-hmm. versus repair. And that's kind of what we were looking at. Which one is it? And it sounds like it is not the reconstruction and that it is the, the repair. And uh, Brock finished a third in the voting for, for rookie of the year. And he was interviewed and he said that uh, he's going to go undergo surgery in two weeks. And this was a couple of days ago. I believe the date is the 22nd. Uh, and he said he's not going to have Tommy John surgery, so he should be able to start throwing in three months and be fully recovered come August. Now, when I was well, doing when I was doing my research, it sounded like that's a early, the, an early ish date for him, because everything else I was reading sounded like it was going to be more towards the end of training camp and closer to the beginning of the season. But he says. August. So, I mean, that's going to be a date that everyone is going to sort of look at to see if he can actually be back by then. And the reason why this date is important is because Trey is going to be leading all the OTAs. And then if he's leading most of the training camp as well, then Kyle's got a decision. Do we go with the guy, especially if Trey's playing well, do we go with the guy who's been leading this team all training camp? Or do we go with the guy who led us last year, even though he hasn't been able to play much in, in training camp and in the preseason? So that's why that date is important. And that's going to be kind of the bullseye. I think all 49er fans are going to bullseye that August time frame to, because that, that's going to be you know a big part of, of the early season. Well, I saw something today where Brock was talking and, Apparently, there is a third option out there that is more kind of a hybrid between the repair interesting, and, and the reconstruction, which was basically that um, you would do the repair with an internal brace um, that would give it more stability long term, which is the benefit of the Tommy John is if you just if you reconstruct it, um, it's going to be you 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 you're less likely long term to have any um you know recurring effects as opposed mm-hmm. to when you just repair it, 
it's still, I mean, it's damage. You've repaired the damage, but the damage is still there. But this, apparently this hybrid repair with the internal ba- brace gives you a lot of the benefits of the Tommy John without of the long layoff, which, so if, if the surgeon gets in there and decides that that's the course of action to take, you're now talking about November as opposed to August. Um, which again, so apparently that's going to be an audible that Brock and his doctors have the have we're going to the and his team that the surgeon is going to make that he'll get in there and see what it is, you know, what is the best course of action. So that's out there. So again, but that's what I've been saying all along is that I know enough about my my family. I've got a lot of baseball players mm-hmm. in my family, and you know. I've got a, a high school nephew who has gone under this procedure and he got something similar to what the second option was, was the, the repair mm-hmm. with the internal brace. Um, and it, it was, it's a, a nine to 12 month um, recovery and therapeutic time. And so he's a junior in, high school so they decided that whatever is going to strengthen it more long term he's so he's not going to pitch his junior year period so now um but for him major league baseball is you know obviously that's a a far-fetched dream but he really wants to pitch division one yeah so that for him that's the best course of action just skip the junior year Try to come back strong for your senior year and maybe go the JUCO route to mm-hmm. try to get one. But it's a long-term um prognosis and prognosis and looking forward rather than trying to get back just as fast as you can. And I, I would think the same thing would be for Brock. He's 23 years old. He should be looking towards, I think, trying to do what is best for him long term. Um, as opposed to just trying to rush back, I, I think. Um, but, you know, I understand the competitor that, you know, he's got a legitimate competitor and he is in the driver's seat right now. So I would, I could understand the sentiment to, of wanting to get back as quick as possible to hold on to and to solidify my spot, especially coming from where he's coming from. I get that. Um, but I hope my hope is that it that um, what is done for him, which is what I always feel for the player, is w- what's done for him is done with his long term um, prognosis in mind and not what's necessarily in the best interest for me in the best interest of the team um, or what's in his best short-term interest. I think we should be looking long-term. I, I think about that because I was having a conversation earlier this week about Tua in his situation, and he's all in for coming back, and I'm glad for that, <laughs> but I hope that there are people who are looking at his long... Because I, I understand as a player for a lot of reasons why you want to get, get back out there, yeah. but is that best long-term for him, I hope there are people in his corner and people at the Dolphins who are um, looking out for his best interest Absolutely. as a 
person, not as just a football player and an asset to their organization. And I would hope the 49ers look at Brock the same way. What he did this year was phenomenal. And while I am 100% team Trey, I want what's best for him because having that competition in the quarterback room is nothing but good for the team. I think if it's handled properly. Um, So, you know, we'll see. And I've been saying this from the jump that I know enough about it from baseball that any prognosis or prognostication that we're making is just that until the doctor, until the surgeon gets in there and sees exactly what he's dealing with, the MRI is only going to tell you so much. He's Mm going to know a whole lot more once he cracks it open and sees exactly what he's dealing with. And then once he's sewn back up, and we start to see a healing, a physical therapy, that's when we're going to know what the timetable really is. So all of this we're doing right now is just conjecture. And, and you know, I'm, I'm all for conjecture. I love conjecture. <laughs> um, so that's gonna, it's going to be great. But, I, you know, like you say, we've got another 10 days until we get the surgery. And um, we're talking about... Um, Valentine's Day, we are, I think, will be exactly two months away from the start of the off-season program. And in point between now and then, Trey will be cleared. And it looks for, you know, at this point, there's it's it's there's no question he's gonna be quarterback one to start the um the off-season program. And it looks like all the way up, even if the um early prognosis is right and it's august he's still gonna be he'll be quarterback one going into training camp and you know through the start of training camp because august will be you know into um training camp um if that is the date for brock to come back so you know he is going to get all the reps here you know for the foreseeable future and we'll see what that means. You know, George says that it's it's Brock's job to lose. And it'll be interesting to see if that's the case, that it does doesn't matter how well Trey plays. Yeah. It, you know, if it, it it just doesn't matter that it's Brock's job regardless. That would be interesting. I know that's what, what I that- would <laughs> Go ahead. That's what Joe Montana said, but then Joe Montana also said he thought they should bring back Jimmy. So I'm not sure I understand. I think we should stop putting <laughs> microphones in Joe Montana's face. Let's stop doing that, please. Thank you. Uh, so you know the the interesting thing about bringing in a backup though is because in my mind I'm like, if they, if they bring in Andy Dalton and something goes on with Purdy and he's not healthy and you know maybe trade foot like. As a fallback plan, Dalton might be just as, as good of a fallback plan as Jimmy was last year. But the problem with that is best case scenario for the for the guy coming in, especially someone like Dalton who wants to start, is he's QB1 because these other guys are hurt or they're underperforming. Worst case scenario is those two guys battle it out and play well, and then Andy's not active on some of those he, you weeks. Know, I, I just, I don't see that a guy, I mean, I know, well, 
Number one, Andy Dalton had a hell of a career in Cincinnati. He was a really, really good football player. I don't know that he's that guy now. I thought um, he was okay last year in some he of the was. games that we watched. I thought, I thought the Saints, he played well. Um, I don't think, even if you could make the money work, like I think you outlined the problem with a guy like Dal- Dalton or anyone of that ilk. I don't think they're going to come into a yeah. situation where it is more likely than not that they don't have a path to playing. Um, I, I don't I don't see why they would, with all the upheaval, there are as many as 11 jobs, theoretically, in the NFL this coming offseason. And if I'm Andy Dalton, I feel like there aren't 11 quarterbacks in the league better than me. Um, so... Why, why not go try to get in line in one of these other places where I've got a path to playing? Because like you say, if it goes, best case scenario for the 49ers is Brock is back healthy, Trey is healthy, whoever this third guy is, if Trey and Brock battle it out, whoever comes out on the short end of that stick is QB2, so if I'm Andy Dalton or Andy Dalton type guy, I'm QB three and I'm an active. Um, best case scenario, I'm an active on a weekly basis. Um, I just don't see it. I think the more likely option is they try to have a high priority draft pick that they have on the practice squad or something for, you know, but I, I just I don't see an established quarterback coming in um, and just being, you know, subjecting themselves to that kind of situation. I'm sure they'll be able to find somebody better than Josh Johnson to be three. But um, I, just, are, are I don't you telling me Lil Nicky Mullins is coming back to be. 33? Hey, man, <laughs> I, I, I know. Kyle, um, I know Kyle has him on speed dial. <laughs> that he, those are his kind of guys, man. He, uh, well, and I'm sure they'll be looking in the draft for the next Brock Purdy or Nick yeah, Mullins. Absolutely. Um, so uh, may, maybe Stetson Bennett, Uncle Stetson, will come in and um, and on his path to being uh, auto dealership mogul and governor <laughs> of Atlanta could maybe be a third string quarterback for the 49ers. He'll be a third string quarterback for the Falcons before he'll be the 49ers, whatever. All right. So uh, D'Amico Ryan's leaves to uh, go be the head coach of the uh, Houston Texans. So good for him. Glad to see him get that job. And it was very quick. He was a very wanted uh, head coach there. Uh, And then he took, uh, Bobby Bobby Slowick to be the offensive coordinator, so the Niners lose. Uh, lose Congratulations, Bobby Millionaire! Good for you. Yeah, Good man. For you, you know. I was, I, I was having this conversation with Brad, who's who's a Rams fan, and I was saying how you know it's pretty amazing that that Kyle has been able to repair that coaching staff and retool every year, 
And then those guys who get into these new positions, they're then promoted and, and leave for, for big jobs. So the Kyle, uh, you know, I, I'm going to give him the most of the credit here. He's really got an eye for staff and for plugging into what he wants to do, which then becomes a trend in the NFL to do what the 49ers do. So when you have all these coaches who run this style, this trend of where football is, you got all these coaches who are under Kyle Shanahan and then they go and do Kyle Shanahan like stuff on these other teams. So, uh, cause he was saying the same thing, you know, with the Rams and, and, and their coaching staff, how they've that their guys are just getting plucked out as well. And you have to fulfill, but that's kind of, that's what the league is. And it's good to see those guys leave. But what'd you think about uh, the addition of Wilkes as the defensive coordinator? Well, obviously, that is a departure from the way we've done it the last two times, which is why I thought it would be somebody like Chris Harris, because Mm -hmm. that's just, you know, this is not, I I don't believe that I know it all, but what I do do is it's like comps or um, pattern recognition is what most, you know, things that people call intelligence is. It's just recognizing patterns. The last two times they got a hot position coach and promoted them. And so Chris Harris was the next hot position coach um, up to bat. And it just seemed like that was the natural fit. But apparently um, Wilkes interviewed well and he is well respected as a defensive coordinator um you look back at you know the um cleveland experience didn't go very well but he only had really three players when when i look back at it you know he had garrett olivier and sheldon richardson were really the only players that played um above average um by a p um PFF grading for that season of, of 2019. But if you look back to his 2017 um, Carolina defense, they were dogs and um, they were a, a, a top eight defense um, by a DVOA and went to a Super Bowl um, and had Keekly. And so there's a lot that you could take from looking at the way that defense played um, that you can overlay to the talent that we have and see hey, they played a, a ton of zone, which is kind of what we do. Um, he blitzed a lot, um, which is heartening to me because if we are, if we aren't getting home with four, I always loved it when D'Amico would go with sooner rather than later apply pressure. Um, you know, so, if that's something that is in Wilkes's bag, I think that helps us as well. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be a good fit. And after we didn't get Fangio, um, mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's the, you know, uh, clearly they decided that was the best way to go. I mean, but let's just look at that for a minute. The thought of having Fangio in the building with Kyle, um, was something that really, really got me excited. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so yeah, but um, so that's a good hire from McDaniel down there in um in Miami. Um, so yeah, I, I'm glad. I think that that you know overall, I mean, as much as we don't really know what happens, you know, 
in those meeting rooms. But it sounds like, you know, everybody around the league is excited um, that Steve Wills is coming. Um, and I think we really just have to, at this point, like you opened up saying, Kyle has earned the benefit of the doubt when it comes to building out his coaching staff. I mean, yeah. at this point, um, whatever, you know, he's got carte blanche as far as I'm concerned. Whatever he says must be um, the right way to go because he has he's done a very good job so far at that in that aspect of in a lot of aspects of the job. Um, but that one in particular, he's done a really good job of identifying and developing talent. And for Wilkes, obviously his his goal is is to be back as a head coach in the NFL and going the route of a team who ha, you know that has been successful and if he can keep that defense cuz they have a lot of talent on that defense and if he can keep that defense playing at a very high level this time next year and there are head coaching opportunities available he is creating you know he is adding to his resume as well. So it's kind of a win-win in that way. Uh, but, but really like if you're a good team in the NFL, your coaching staff is, is, is not going to be the same year after year. If you're a bad mm-hmm. team in the NFL, your coaching staff is not going to be the same year after year because you're getting rid of either way. And, you're just going to get so, rid of them. So, so, you know, th- this, this is just something that that is part of the normal in, in the NFL and the Niners do a better job than most. I think about you know, sort of getting ahead of it and knowing and, and having an eye for, you know, who is next. Um, we have to end this show. Maybe the, maybe the swan song of, of the Jimmy G saga. Uh, he left. Uh, so, you know, M- Matt Barrows is, is the beat writer that I pay attention to most. Uh, Matt Mayoko's also does a really good job. But those guys on the beat, they're sort of presenting you know, the, the, in reporting the information as they see it, they're not necessarily kind of digging in. And uh, on the flip side, Tim Kawakami, as an analyst, he's kind of digging for stories sometimes. And he had Barrows and Dave Lombardi on his podcast uh, very soon after the season ended. I think it was after the press conference uh, to end the season. And Kyle was pretty testy in that press conference. He obviously does not like to lose and he shows that emotion in his uh, answers and his body language. And the question was laid out about why his quarterbacks get hurt. And, you know, he just explained that it's really happenstance. Like, you know, there's no pattern of injury here where, you know, we're running guys and we're running plays that are getting these guys injured. This is his answer. I'm not I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not excusing what he said. I'm just saying what his answer was. And uh, he was clearly frustrated uh, on this press conference. And so how this relates to Jimmy is that somebody asked him a question about Garoppolo. And he said, there is no scenario where Garoppolo could return to the 49ers this offseason. Now, you and I just explained why that's not going to happen. Jimmy is not going to come in as QB3 and be inactive when there's so many other opportunities for him to go out there and battle for a number one spot. But Jimmy's going to get that, a bag. Jimmy's going to yeah, get a absolutely. bag this offseason. Watch. <laughs> People think it's I'm crazy, but watch. Jimmy's going to get no. 30 or $40 million guaranteed. Watch. Trust me. It's going to happen. <laughs> so 
the the question was sort of why was Kyle so like straightforward? Uh, because he usually, whenever he talks about Jimmy, he's been hard on Jimmy in the past, but you know, he he likes to 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 prop up Jimmy when he talks about him. And so Kawakami did some digging. And he said the relationship between Garoppolo and Shanahan Lynch seems to have gone a bit south in the days or weeks leading up to the NFC Championship game in Philadelphia. And I'll read uh, the rest of his writing. He said, uh, quote, I don't know if there was a specific blow up or conversation that led to this. I don't know what the main issue was. We know that Garoppolo won a lot of games in his six seasons with the 49ers. It partially bailed him out this season by agreeing to come back after believing he was going to be traded or cut last season. If I was to make a knowledgeable guess, I'd say the mood was always a little questionable this season between Garoppolo and Shanahan. They've never been especially close, even when they were winning, but they worked very well together for long stretches over this period. The personality differences were part of why this worked. And because I listened to, to Tim, uh, and and I, I read everything Tim writes. Uh, I heard him also say that part of, and this may be part of Shanahan's frustration, frustration with Garoppolo, is that when the season ends, Garoppolo's like, phone turned off, can't really find him. He's in the off season. And that, and he, you know, and Kyle is a 24 seven football guy, right? Like he eats and drinks and sweats this stuff. So for, for Jimmy to just be like, peace out, see you guys when OTA start or whatever, uh, that may have been part of uh, part of the frustration there. If I'm reading the tea leaves correctly, uh, that could have been part of the frustration, but uh, I, I figured, you know, Jimmy ha- has been the gift that keeps on giving for stuff like, our chats uh, when, when we were doing the Facebook group, even though they, they still have not brought me back. That's why we're on discord, baby. We, we're moving on. Um, and for stuff like this, for podcasts, like still, if I put Jimmy Garoppolo's name in a video on YouTube, like people are clicking on it, Like it's just what, what it is. So this is, I just want to a- end with the Swan song. You know, we've had Jimmy for, uh, you know, we made that trade with new England. We bring him in the season is essentially over when we bring him in and he just starts ripping the ball, throwing for 300 yards. I think we beat Seattle or we came really close to beating Seattle. And when, when, when Seattle was still Seattle, uh, they, they beat the Titans in like a last second game or something. And he came in and we're like, Oh wow, we may have something. Now there were moments where we kind of did have something. And then there were moments where we didn't really have something. And he was, he was actually not a, a positive but what is your kind of lasting memory of Garoppolo in his 49ers tenure? Man, five and zero, oh. and he parlayed that five and zero oh to 125 million dollars. And you know, if we're being honest, we won a lot of games with Jimmy. Yeah. You know, I had people beat me over the head for six years. When I say Jimmy is just, just what do you think makes Jimmy such a great quarterback? The only answer 49er fans could ever give me was 40 and blah, blah, blah. It was, <laughs> they, it was never anything about his individual game. It was always about the wins. And look, he, I, let's be honest. Am I being, am I, you know, do you, I trust you. Am I being, um, hyperbolic when i say 
that he never reached the heights of that five and zero start ever again. He was he was never really that guy ever really consistently again. Um, he missed twenty five games um, in six years. I mean that's that's a that's a to me that's probably the biggest part of the Jimmy Garoppolo story. I mean I guess you could put point to some of his performances in the postseason, I guess. But I just think, you know, he just was not healthy enough, more consistently enough, you know, for that amount of money. I mean, you just – you can't have that guy missing a quarter of the games that he's eligible to play. I mean, if he's your franchise quarterback. I mean, that's you – know, the, the best ability is availability. So that's right. what – that's what I will always remember, and and, and it's kind of it'll kind of always be what could have been, mm-hmm. um, with with old with old Yimmy. The uh, yeah, I, the way that I always answered that question, you know, when people would say, you know, is he worth it, or I would just say, oh yeah, you know, his best trait is that he's just handsome, and like people want to get behind him and and follow him because he's like, you know, he's got that like good looking dude confidence which is uh, it's just, but that you know actually um Garrett, that's kind of odd because that guy is normally like how does that guy end up being the underdog guy he's yeah. rich and handsome <laughs> most people usually hate that guy so, so but here, here's here's the thing guy. Here, and, and here's here's the thing about you know kyle told the truth about garoppolo in the playoffs when he wouldn't let him throw the football and uh, not to say that that wasn't the best game plan. When they went to the super bowl, he did not really let this guy throw at all. He was playing. They were the 49ers playing so conservatively and they were still winning games uh, all the way to the super bowl. But the fact that he didn't let this guy really let it loose. I wonder if that also kind of hurt their relationship. Cause if you're Jimmy, and you're like, hey man, I'm a quarterback. I can throw, and my coach is is not <laughs> like, letting me throw. He's like, nah, like, <laughs> like how, that can't make him happy, right? No quarterback likes being in that situation of just like, hey, let's run the ball 45 times in this game and win 14 to zero. So I like, I, I, I think what Jimmy. I think Kyle was sort of trying to make sure that Jimmy didn't lose them games where Jimmy probably wanted opportunities to win games. And it was just, ultimately, I don't think Kyle ever trusted Jimmy in the way that Jimmy wanted to be trusted or that felt that he should be trusted. And you could see that in the game plans and you could see that in the uh, sort, not the results, but just, drafting Trey, right? Like that was part of it. It's like, okay, like this is telling the truth on, on Jimmy. We are drafting someone who does all of the things that Jimmy can't do, especially torn ACL where he became even more immobile after that. And, and we saw more of Jimmy getting rid of the ball faster than he needed to. Cause he didn't, he couldn't get out. He couldn't move up as well as he previously did in the past. So that, that was it. Yeah, but ultimately I think, most fans will say that they were okay with the Jimmy experience. The more critical fans will probably say if Jimmy was a better version, uh, we probably have 
a, a Super Bowl or two. I, and and that and and to to have that, very few people get there. So that's a, a really high bar. The problem is, is he played for the 49ers who had f- five Super Bowls, you know, with two of the best quarterbacks of all time. So anytime a quarterback comes in here and doesn't deliver in those moments, you're always sort of like, well, it was, it was okay, but he never won. And that's what sort of what we, what we count as, as 49er fans is, is winning Super Bowls. And, and I, you know, I, I think you're, you're right in that Kyle, didn't trust him and as a competitor i'm sure that hurts jimmy but as fans we have an expression because me and you have talked about this so many times it's the jimmy ball yeah and it, it, it jimmy can't pretend like that's not a thing so so i i guess i see i'm saying what i said i see both sides of it. yeah i can see where as jimmy as a competitor you want your coach to trust you. But I can also see as if he's watching the same thing we're watching, I can understand why Kyle is like, what do you mean? Why am I not giving this <laughs> the opportunity to throw the game away? Because because Jimmy balls happen. You yeah. know, so I'm trying to avoid that. So I understand that. And um again, I I get bashed over the head again because I love Brock. But what I want to do is let's be. But but I understand fanatics don't want no voice of reason. They want everything to be all optimism and yeah. just saying. Look, is he is he more again? Again, look. Maybe I am. I can I can admit that maybe I'm wrong and maybe that it's more to Brock than this is more. He's more than just Jeremy Lin. Okay, I can I can say that maybe that maybe maybe he is better than that but i know you guys are crazy when you tell me he's tom brady or or kurt warner or joe montana i know so the truth is somewhere in the middle yeah so so he's way closer to what i think he is than what you guys think he is hall of famer i'll i'll bet whatever you want to be today (laughs) he's not going to the hall of fame so okay so let's (laughs) let's end here and and this is an interesting uh and what you just said kind of reminded me of it so tim also said and I forgot who he was talking to. Uh, he may have been talking to Ethan Strauss, actually, uh, Ethan on Ethan's podcast. And so Tim said that he would hear in the locker room that Kyle really, really liked Brock. But there was really no opportunity to just put him in because, you know, Jimmy's playing and they're winning and, and there's no real. But he, he was just really trying to find a way for for Brock to play. And he said the thing that impressed him most about Brock is when they were in their quarterback meetings, he would say something and then they would go to practice and Brock would do what he said. And then they would come back and Brock would tell him what he said and what Brock did on the field and sort of explained to Kyle. So in a sense, like, being the best student, uh, uh, you know, and Kyle's probably not even realizing that that that's what he's doing, but he's like, listen, he's comprehending what Kyle is coaching, putting it in action and then coming back and explaining to Kyle how he did that and, and why, you know, why he comprehended it that way or whatever. So Kyle sees him as like this, this wide eyed, bushy tailed student who's just looking to improve. And Trey was not, doing that necessarily 
And I'm not saying Trey was expected to do that. I'm just saying that that was the difference. So well, but then it was pretty. Oh, sorry. Not to cut you off. Go ahead. Well, well, so when the injury to Jimmy happens and Brock is playing in Miami, he, uh, Tim said that they were kind of ex- not excited that Jimmy got hurt, but excited to see if, if what their thought of about Brock and what they were seeing was actually true. And so then when he played well, it kind of made what they thought reality. So I think that's what they're happy about, which is they saw talent where maybe others didn't see talent and he actually played. And if we're being honest, he trusted Brock way more than he trusted Jimmy on a lot of the the things that they called. They they were calling passes, you know, early in the first half where we're like, wait, we got McCaffrey. Like, why are we passing so much? And then it was like, bing, bing, bing down the field and they would score. And it, it was like, yeah, like I trust this guy to make these decisions uh, right off of the bat. And and he didn't necessarily do the same with Jimmy. But that that was the uh, that was the explanation I heard for why Kyle fell in love with Brock. I. I don't know if you saw Trey on Rich Eisen, but it was interesting. His interview was interesting when he talked about the dynamic in the quarterback room as it related to Brock and Jimmy and how actually when, when Brock took over, it was easier for him to become a bigger part and participate and help Brock with things like third down checks. And, and there were places where he felt like he could help Brock. Yeah, he has more his, experience in, in his that preparation. Yeah. Um, whereas with Jimmy, it's really much, not much. He could tell Jimmy because Jimmy's the vet. And, yeah. you know, it, it was that dynamic. And it just seemed like what he intimated was it was a much more collegial mm-hmm. um quarterback room whereas from the outside looking in maybe you might think that him and brock are competitors but yeah. it really seems like they have a real good relationship yeah which um, is cool. kind of way different than like you know the opposite is like steve and joe, and joe which, yeah which it which clearly that was never a thing <laughs> in terms of they they really were it 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 was clear to me as a young person back then, but as I get older and read stuff, clearly those dudes were not trucking with each other at all. And Bill Walsh was really trying to get rid of Joe as early as 87. Um, he didn't think Joe was going to hold up. No. Well, no, it apparently back then I, I came across an article from back then where Bill was trying to trade Joe for two first round picks and Billy Ray Smith to the chargers. And that apparently that was a, you know, everybody denied it and blah, blah, blah. But apparently that was really a thing. And Eddie stopped that. I'm it, sure Eddie D was, was like, if it was what are you up doing, to Bill, man, <laughs> if it was up to Bill, he would have, but, but anybody who was here at the time, knows that Bill Walsh didn't have no sympathy for nobody. He was not, if he his thing was always and his book lays that out clearly he was the other, always the other thing about year, bill a, a year earlier rather than a year too late exactly and that's the same as the parse when parcells was on his a game that's the same thing 
the th- also the thing about Bill is he had to live up to this genius moniker. So of course, of course you're going to win two Super Bowls with Joe Montana, and then you're going to bring in this Jerry Rice kid. Of course you're going to do that. So it's like, no, well, we're going to be ahead of the game. Joe's body isn't holding up. I'm going to take this USFL reject because I see greatness in him, and I am then going to turn him into the next best quarterback, and we are still going to win titles. Like That is how Bill also thought, which shows you how competitive and how you know crazy and insane he was like that's like that's just the 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 mind of this dude was was constantly working and uh that whole thing is so fascinating to me everybody bill has kind of got this thing that joe gets too much credit eddie d has got his little thing that bill got too much credit um and Carmen you know, Policy was the guy who was kind of the fixer that would go and soothe everybody's ego yeah. and kind of make everything. Everybody, you know, I think that was the thing, looking back on the the Jed Jim thing, is there was no – Parag is like the fixer, and that <laughs> was just horrible because Jim, <laughs> he hated him as much as he hated Jed, and oh, yeah. so there really wasn't anybody – to soothe anything. Yeah, but Har- yeah, so- Harbaugh, Harbaugh wasn't making Harbaugh wasn't communicating with those guys in the way that you know they wanted to be communicated with. Harbaugh's like, hey, well, who are you guys? You guys are you guys are shirts, man. You guys are office, you know, uh, office guys. I'm a blue shirt guy. I, well, I'm, it's I'm never doing good everything. when your coach says that your owner is not man enough to be in these <laughs> meetings with the team. That that's that was, never that, that was yeah, that was wrong. That was probably, that, that, that's Jim. That, that's Jim's bad. You know who Joe still is frustrated with the most, though? Who? George Seifert. Okay. George. He said, "Now this is Bill. This is Joe's side. George Seifert shut Joe down." In 1991, didn't let him play. Steve Young played the whole season. Joe got to play in the last game of the season. I think it's on Monday Night Football, too. Mm -hmm. And they called a running play, which Joe audibled into a touchdown pass and which upset the coaching staff. And Joe still has an icy relationship with George Seifert at 49er events. Wow. That kind of stuff is always fascinating yeah. to me. That is, I, I had never heard that story. Yeah, wow. it's uh, I there's a there's an article that that went up uh, last week. It was a long piece on Joe that uh, ESPN put out. So you you can some of the stuff that I've just the, the, I got it from there because I just it's fresh in my mind. I didn't see that. I will definitely seek that out. You know what? That, I will find it and I will throw it in the Discord for everyone yeah. to to check. But that that is that'll be something that I dig into and we'll do some posting on during the off season because that is you know I, I i have that that whole era of you know they um 538 just came out with the um the greatest teams of blah 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 and that dynasty from you know our our dynasty from you know 80 whatever to 90 whatever is the tops in all history of the nfl and that you know that's like my era, you know, my, I was birthed into it. Yeah. 
um during you know you know 92 was 82 was my first year and so you know those are my teams those 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 seminal teams are my teams and um all those stories about what was going on then that you know things that i wouldn't necessarily comprehend as a 12 year old yeah um those things are are infinitely fascinating to me um now that i sit here now so yeah i'll definitely seek out that article and um i'm sure i'll have thoughts i will find it and i will pop it in there tonight sounds good uh, all right we went we went Wait, over what, what what i thought we were going to do but it was uh it, it was nice to kind of i love travel connect that the way that we connected that though it's kind of interesting we connected uh you know jimmy and uh and brock and trey with montana and young but everyone gets compared to montana and young in, in yeah. some here or in this here area. it's 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 inevitable all right uh so thanks to everyone who checked in who's uh watching and listening uh rod and i are gonna try and get back every couple of weeks uh you know what i don't i don't know what the consistency of the schedule will be but if yeah. you're part of the discord you will know if you follow our socials you will know but uh we won't go weekly we'll obviously do stuff for the draft but I, i'm thinking every two weeks is probably pretty solid we'll have enough mm-hmm. news to do a free show and, and mm-hmm. look, if, if something happens and we want to come back sooner, we'll come back sooner. Yeah. So sounds all good. Right. All right. So for Rod, I am double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out. <laughs>